This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with lead foundation phase coach at Southampton Football Club, Lee Smith. He discusses individual development plans and how coaches design their sessions in order to aid players with this, the importance of multi-sport and how this is catered for within the academy, and using different game formats in order to enhance player development. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends as we continually try and grow our audience. I hope you enjoy. Cool. So first of all, Lee, thank you for jumping on at short notice. As I had someone drop out and uh, we've been speaking about getting this in the diary, but we managed to jump on quickly. Um, I know we speak semi-regularly, but good weekend, all okay? Yeah, not too bad. <clears throat> Just getting back into, obviously, football with the, the lads. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, been a good weekend. Um, no, and, and thanks for having me. So, in terms of um, your role, what you currently do, experiences, all that type of stuff, what's your current role? What what does that entail? So, I'm currently working at Southampton Football Club. Um, the role there is is the lead uh, foundation phase coach and for for our club the foundation phase is nines tens elevens and so what in terms of responsibilities etc what does that actually entail for you what, what does that mean from a day-to-day weekly basis yeah so i guess the roles changed a little bit recently in terms of probably stepping away from leading the team uh, as probably i did previously um to sort of trying to sort of take a step back in manage the coaches and the program um like, like football is at the moment it's ever evolving and constantly growing so i think we've adapted to that well and and sort of my role sort of adapted from that a little bit so really it's it's making sure that we're all uh set up in terms of what the week entails what the month ahead looks like making sure the coaches are, are prepared and the, the players are supported so obviously Southampton is a very well regarded uh, academy. I've been fortunate enough to work there for a number of years, as have you. What do you think um, is the USP for Southampton? Why do you think they have had success in bringing players through all the way through to the first team? Probably historically, it's always been the pathway. You know, it's, it's been a, a massive selling point. Um, you know, obviously. It's quite well known the number of players that have sort of gone through the academy into the first team and, and beyond that as well. So I think that's always been a, a strong selling point for the academy. So in terms of for you and your role with the foundation phase players, what are you looking for them to achieve within your phase or what foundations in the foundation phase are you looking to lay for them to move forward with? Um. Good question. Um, I think the, when they come into us, you know, that they, they usually come for, I mean, the majority of the players, we, we take on it under nines, would come for Operate Academy programme, which is a fantastic programme where, um, you know, we, we see over sort of 200 players across the south of England um, through various centres and they sort of come in through that process of advanced centres and, and um, auditing players and, and we, we get the players in through that. So I think that that's um, a real positive. I think what's important 
whilst they join us at that age is that they continue enjoying football. I think one of our first initial challenges with that young under nines group is they've always been the best players through their grassroots team, through the pre-academy programme. They always had a lot of success. So I think it's one of the one of the biggest challenges is continuing their enjoyment and love of football whilst it becomes a bit more challenging with the games programme, with the number of hours they're doing. So I think that's something that our under nines coaches do really, really well, where they're really balanced to make sure that um, it's fun, but they're also learning and also starting to um, understand what that pathway looks like. So I think that's something that's really important that we get that balance right, you know, and, and ultimately they are young, young people, young players, and we've got to, you know, not, not get too serious too soon, that's for sure. I think the fundamentals really, um, we want our boys to enjoy the ball, uh, like any other club probably, you know, we want the boys to want to get on the ball and use the ball. Um, we, we call it like ball mastery, which is effectively, you know, being able to deal with the ball, um, being able to master the ball and, and, and show various technical skills um, to support them on the ball as, as well as um, to get them out of trouble, etc. So we set up quite a lot of stuff where um, they understand what that is. And I think one of the biggest challenges and biggest um, things we try and work on with these boys is the understand the value of practice. So that's something that they can go away and work on their own time. They can work on it in training. And I think there's a, an aspiration there for these guys over the period of time within the academy to become self-directed learners. And that's probably starts it at nine years old and just understanding, look, if I go and work on my passing range of my weaker foot and they can see that development over a period of time, if we can highlight that skillfully and um, using various staff members, parents and, and a support network around the player to go, look, what you've done there is put some effort in and you've done that over a period of time, you've got better. And at a young age, they can start to recognise that. That's really important. So that's important. I think also like athleticism obviously is important. I think sometimes we, we get drawn to uh, players that need to be quick and strong. It's probably effective movers and they have to deal with demands of the game. It's, it's quite important for us. Um, one thing we're, we're pretty big on in, in, in our club is, is multi-sports, making sure that, again, our young players at nine years old, when they come into us in the foundation phase, don't just purely get um, um, exposure to football activities because, you know, that's going to reduce the or range of movements they're going to be doing and types of movements. It's really important that we continue to stress them in different environments. Um, so we set up quite a lot of multi-sports activities and tournaments for our younger players and also allow them to go and play sports at school and different types of football because that's, that's important as well that they get that variety. So we'll come back to the self-directive learning stuff in a minute because I think that's really interesting um, evolution within academy football and certainly within the academy and how how that's been portrayed. Just going to the multi-sports side, I guess two questions is one, how challenging is it as a club to incorporate that multi-sports or allow them to do the school stuff with obviously the EPPP expectations of when and how often they've got to train? And then two, could you talk through um, the tournaments that you've put on 
um, which I know you've had clubs come into Staplewood previously, kind of before COVID, to do like a joint football, joint multi-sports type tournament, which was by all accounts pretty successful. So could you talk through those two points for us? So in terms of the challenges, in terms of getting them to do uh, multi-sports, um, I think one of the biggest things that we find is with, with our young players, competition's massive. So if it is competitive, I think there's a level of buy-in anyway. If it's just multi-sports or, say, S&C for the sake of it, sometimes the players that aren't necessarily motivated to go and do other sports don't particularly want to do that. I think you put it into a competitive environment and, and certainly I would say from observations and feedback we get from the players, there's more of a buy-in to that. So I think that's important to recognise. Um, I think with, with school activities, I think it's probably education, you know, that what 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 is the intent of this? What is the purpose? You know, what, what are we trying to get from this? So the, kid, the, the, the young players going to come play for their school team, probably they'll be one of the best players on the pitch, which therefore they'll probably be quite happy with, you know, they'll, they'll certainly be looked up to uh, by other players in that team. Also, they're trying new things. They might want to try and score a goal from 30 yards and they might try and dribble around the whole team. But that's practicing different things that maybe they don't normally get to practice in their normal academy um, experience or games programme. So that's important. And again, going back to the first point about love of the game, you know, that experience there of being the best player at school and scoring loads of goals is probably going to, you know, support you loving the game, you know, and having some real, real great experiences. But also the social bit, you know, I think sometimes with the academy system and, and you know, these boys train a lot of hours, um, you know, they have to travel as well to train them for some, in some cases. So actually, you know, going to go and play with different friends and actually just have a different social setting in that group is really important yeah i imagine you know in the the social aspect how that you know challenges challenges them from maybe being the best at football to maybe not being the best at tennis or not being the best at tag rugby or american football creates quite an interesting dynamic within the group as well right yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, you you might again with these young players, it's probably not going to see that straight away. But there might be a level of awareness um, to go. Well, actually, I struggle at tennis, so I'm doing it. And you know, maybe there's some messages there for the players whilst they're on their you know development journey with us. Um, the social bit, I think, is important as well. They actually look. I'm not the best player here in this sport, but you know, again, I'll keep working at it. Or I'll just do it for fun. Yeah, that's that's fine as well. Um, also, going back to more of a football-specific one, yeah, there's probably an opportunity to yes, work on those technical bits, like I said, in terms of maybe weaker foot. You know, example of taking players on more often than they, they normally would in the academy system. Um, there's also a bit around there, maybe some leadership skills. You know, in in terms of what they what their how their teammates see them. So they might see them as a captain and actually in the in the academy team, maybe they're, they see themselves lower down, for example, or they're not one of the stronger characters. Whereas that experience of being looked up to by their peers and there's almost that um, uh, 
different expectation based on that it might bring out some leadership qualities or communication skills or confidence. So those those other bits would probably come through as well. Is there any ways you try and harness that um, moving kind of from their school setting into your one in the academy setting? It's difficult because we're not getting to see the boys in that setting. I mean, all, all we're getting is feedback maybe from the schools at times um, or the players. Um, so that that is difficult. I think what you can do is continue to have variety in the academy programme so that those experiences do happen. So as an example, you, we might do some games nights uh, on a certain evening, um, which you then mix the players up for different reasons so it might actually be nine ten elevens all mixed together and um they go and play so you know five aside six v six whatever and those teams are made up of nines tens and elevens where then again you, you you've created that opportunity for those elevens to probably be maybe leaders you you, you get some real hard stretch for those nines having to compete um but what you get in from that is loads of variety and the players having to adapt and be exposed to different situations, I guess. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And I think it almost goes back to street football, doesn't it? When you're a kid or when the lads, um, years gone by, would have gone out and played down the park and you're seven, you're playing with a 13-year-old. And how can you um, affect the game, but also like still compete so I was known as chopper in my <laughs> as a seven-year-old I just used to go around tackling all the 13s and 14 year olds. Um, yeah, but it's an interesting social dynamic for sure and it does bring a level of self-awareness of what can the younger ones do in order to compete with the older ones so linking back to the tournament what did that tournament look like who was involved how, how did that all work there's the multi-sports tournament so we we set up an activity again in, in the half terms. We could run this from say nine till four or nine till three. The morning, um, so so sorry, uh, local other professional clubs would come in, and we'd set up the morning to be multi sports, um, and we play I think four sports such as dodgeball, maybe basketball, tag rugby, and that would be in a, a tournament format where they'd all play each other in each sport, and then you'd have a winner, and in the afternoon then. After lunch, you then go into football um, activities, maybe five fives, seventy seven games, um, and again, you know the, the, the competition element, just because they were in their club teams, um, was there. You know, everyone wanted to win, um, and from that, you, you get all sorts. You get players trying to help players. You get players maybe encouraging or uh, at times criticizing other players, and that's part of that sort of makeup that you want where they're they've got a place in that team and they're trying to support each other, but also trying to win, which is important. And did you see any differences between the like football context, if they were to play a tournament in just the football context or as they did in the afternoon to the multi-sports in the morning? Did you see any differences in characters or team dynamics or anything like that? Yes, yeah, certainly there's a few lads that were more confident with the other sports because they've had more exposure to it. There's one lad that stands out where in terms of what we saw, we would normally play him, or he sort of gravitates towards playing sort of central areas in, in midfield. And, and um, I think he quite likes playing that number four role. So when we play sort of slightly bigger formats, like a 99, he'd play maybe as a four, which probably results in him getting the ball and passing it quite quickly at times. Um, 
but we're not seeing loads of physical stuff from him, if that makes sense, because of maybe the position, the task that he's got. Whereas actually when we put him into a tag rugby environment, he was very good at a sidestep. He was very good at getting away from players. So that's great to see that because then you, you then think, well, if he can do it in that environment, could he do it in football, for example? So that led us then to have a conversation around his IDP, to his development plan and start to look at, can we put him in different situations where maybe he's getting those more direct 1v1 situations where there's more opportunities for him to, um, you know, beat players or take players out of the game uh, for different tactics, um, which he, he bought into. I think he wanted to show that he could actually do that. Whereas I think because maybe over a period of time he should have played that certain role in the team and he's, he's shown that skill set that he's got, he's never really then took that on. And probably with the format of the pitch size, it hasn't allowed enough of those opportunities to beat players um, successfully for him to do it more often. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it does for sure. And I think that um, it's obviously a really acute observation. It's like, well, actually, if he can beat a player 1v1 in rugby with moving his body, maybe he could out wide um, or something like that. Obviously, you've linked to their kind of IDP work, which I know is becoming more and more commonplace um, kind of all the way through academies nationwide. In terms of process for you guys and formatting, etc., what does that look like? Um, how are targets agreed? How are they monitored? How are they supported? What does that look like in your environment? Yeah, so we've, we've invested a bit of time in, and trying to sort of make these um, better um, and more established over the years. So we've, we've moved them onto like an online platform, which is Hive Learning, um, which is quite nice where the players can have their own page, but also then move into some group pages as well. Um, I guess it allows the players to upload footage, you know, and, and um, documents and resources. Um, the idea of that is that they can look back at that over a period of time and see development, which is which is important that they're, they're registering that. Okay, well, I've put this effort in, you know, I think I've improved. So I think that helps to um, uh, show that, that that progress and understand the value of practice, as I said before. Um, what, what we try and do is, you know, around that player, you've got a multidisciplinary team. So you've got your SNC coaches, with the young age, even with the young ages, you've got a psychology team, um, you've got coaches, you've got analysts, and then you've got the parents as well. I think the one that we've tried to include more this this year with, with lockdown as well is the parents, um, and that's been really useful. I think, and, and by no means are we done with that one yet. That still requires a lot more work and support, but certainly by including them and having that clarity on what they're working on and why it's been really good. Um, and, and also with that, there's clear expectations on, on what good looks like and, and, you know, what they should be doing, if that makes sense. Like I said before, that, you know, the, the aim would be for these players to become self-directed learners at some point, you know, and, and you know, clearly for every player that's different. You know, some are going to be more self-directed from an early age some may take a while to get there we've got to appreciate that it's a process um the players are involved in the idp clearly you know they need to be motivated to to work on these targets there's no point in it just being fed to them by the coach or even the parent because 
probably they haven't got the buy-in or the motivations then go and work on it so it's important that with our young ones they would pick something that's relevant to them now that can be something that is a super strength that's absolutely fine you know if they want to go and be better at 1v1s even though they're good at it then great make that into an absolute super strength or it could be something they feel okay well i need to work on this because in my game at the moment i'm not very good at it and it's probably hold me back or i thought like, oh if i work on that i could do a lot better um largely they're, they're quite sort of broad themes with our younger players which would be things like 1v1 attacking 1v1 defending um passing receiving um uh, and probably some, some finishing as well um and ball mastery sorry so sort of those five key areas that we pick and then what the idea of the idp is probably then to put that element into a context so they they understand what when when the game um they should be working on it or what 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 in particular they're struggling with so for example 1v1 attacking such a broad um theme it could be look rec recognizing my direct opponent potentially when they get to 11 that's probably achievable it could be look showing more intent when i'm, I'm in in 1v1 situations to want to beat the opponent um but it's, it's making sure that um it's clear on what what they're trying to achieve if that makes sense yeah, no, it does. And it, when you're looking at time scales or how often they practice this, how what does that look like? What do they commit to for that? Again, that's led to that led by them really. Um, there's no point me or the coaches saying, right, you've got to train six times a week. What we want the players to do is is highlight, look, okay, well, I'm really busy. Um, I'm currently at the park every night with my mates playing football. That's fine. But I'm going to commit every uh, two lots of 15 minutes per week. Okay, well, then when we, we sit down and have a review, we would then just play that back to them. Have you, how have you got on with those two 15 minutes lots? And if they say, well, yeah, absolutely fine, no problem. Do you think you could increase it? Do you need to increase it? Yeah, okay, I could probably increase that for two 30 minute sessions. That's fine. Um, and so, and likewise, you know, they might have a, um, estimated the start, you know, and go, well, actually, I could do four hours a week. You know that's part of the learning process you know what in terms of their commitment um so if they're going to say okay four hours a week that's fine as long as you can sustain that you know if you can't do it why what what what, what is more valuable and actually let, let's explore a little bit around um the quality over the quantity maybe so you know let's make sure the practice that you're doing is more specific to what you're trying to work on and obviously you mentioned earlier about having parents involved in that. Is there a place which they're drawn into via, via the kids? Do the kids ever say, oh, this is what I want from you? Yeah. And again, that, that probably goes up through the age groups as it goes on a bit more. That's right. As they get older, there's probably more demands. But I think with our youngest players in the phase, it's more just the parents being aware of what they're working on and what good looks like and how and what what the practices they, they've sort of pulled out. So some of the players will um, design practices they're going to work on over a period of time. And the parents can be aware of that and maybe support them with, with feeding, for example, or maybe um, being a girl, whatever it might be, but they can support them that way. Some other age groups, maybe they progress further and might say, look, from you, mum and dad, I need you to do this. Um, so they'd be part of that development plan as well.
And then how do you analyze this uh, transition from IDP on paper, on Hive, whatever that looks like, to then in a game setting or in a training setting when they're obviously going to try and use the skills they're learning over here in a practical setting? Yeah, good. So um, each week the players would have a sort of 30-minute session working on their, their IDP within the training environment. So what that looks like is they can pair up with each other, uh, as in other players that work on similar activities. It can just be that if one's working on one of attacking, one's doing one of defending, yeah, that's quite a nice one to do together. Um, the coach can then walk up, you know, look around and go work with specific groups. They can work in tutor groups. It doesn't work going on there in terms of on the on the actual IDP focus sessions that they do with the young ones. Um, in the sessions, um, Always, the players tend to work in quite small groups, so we're really lucky in terms of our ratios of, of players and coaches. We're probably around sort of um, one coach to maybe four to six players, so that that's quite nice. Where actually the the coaches can then recognise the needs of the individual more and actually what they're working on and try and put that into the session. Um, I guess one of the things we're currently working on is across the phases, things like session design, and actually thinking about what that player needs in that session. Um, so for example, 1v1s are quite big in, in the foundation phase. Um, and, and one thing we might consider is even just the specific task that that player has to support his IDP. So maybe that's the reward or to restrict what they're doing. Um, it could be that direct opponent, which is quite a nice one. So given that different challenge, but if, if for example, we've got a player who's quite big you know, relies heavily on using his strength to get away from players and he's working on a receiving practice, then then maybe he's up against a bigger player. So now that that becomes more of a challenge for him or it's more equal, so he's not necessarily getting away with what he normally gets away with. And likewise, you can, you can tweak that in terms of the after action as well. So, for example, if a player, um, going back to that example earlier of the boy who in tag rugby sort of excelled with his movement, but maybe football didn't um, show that as often. His his 1v1 might be to receive in, the players might be working on that receiving on, on the half turn to play forward. He might have to run it um, across a line because actually we're working on his touch, his ability to place the ball in front of the defender and then be strong enough to hold him off. Whereas another player who might be working on I don't know, maybe his, his passing or his, his ball striking after receiving. Um, and that might be on his, his good or his weaker foot uh, or his dominant or non-dom foot. Um, he might have to play into a target or a target player. So it's just recognising, you know, what, what do they specifically need um, in this practice and, and just making those real subtle changes and adaptions to, you know, to challenge the players. So obviously you've mentioned there around uh, session design, et cetera. And one of the things you said at the start is you've kind of moved away from necessarily taking a team more to supporting coaches. How have you found that transition um, in the coach development side? And then also, is there any particular uh, challenges you face moving into that role? Um, it's, it's, for me, it's, it's really good, you know, um, development, you know, as, as a whole, is is a passion of mine. So to see players develop is great, you know, and, and see coaches develop. Um, I, I guess it's it's all quite similar in terms of 
of that, isn't it? It's probably, you know, believing in people, you know, and, and trying to work out the best level, best way of supporting them, you know, and and adapting your your approach to, to, to challenge them a little bit in terms of their thinking and be, be patient with people. I think sometimes we want to give them all the answers, you know, and trying to sort of see it from their point of view as well, because... I mean, and I think that's probably a challenge, you know, where you've always got your opinions and your ideas, but actually, you know, it's about them, isn't it? You know, it's about what they're, how they see the world and what they're trying to get from it. So I think one of the biggest things that um, I try and sort of work with the coaches is just recognising, okay, well, what is your intent? You know, what are you trying to achieve? And is that landing? And then one of my roles probably is to play that back to them whether it be observation, whether it be trying to collect some form of data or feedback, and then just having a conversation about, look, did, did what you intend to do land with this current group of players and what would you do, do differently next time? And try and draw out any, any reflections and then look to form some actions, I guess. Um, you know, and, and that's the same for players, really, isn't it? You, you're looking to support them in the best possible way as well and look at different techniques. You can't just constantly tell them all the time. You know, it's, it's about drawing out what they're seeing and, you know, did it work? If it didn't, what else can we try? Um, so it's, it's quite similar, I guess. And how challenging is it for you? Because obviously you've got, uh, like, academy curriculum, which is obviously going to want want the players to work on certain aspects or in certain ways. You're going to have your personal biases on maybe how sessions or parts of sessions should be designed and thought through to then go with someone else who's obviously got their own uh, you know own opinions own biases which all three of those may be different or slightly different so how do you go about aligning those to make sure that you know um what you're trying to coach in the academy is aligned to what this person is actually delivering in a practical context yeah, again, you, you need some sort of guidance, don't you, and, and, and framework to, to work from, otherwise it becomes um, very difficult to align across different age groups, phases, and across the whole pathway, really. So it's important that there are some guidelines. I think the, the bits there you picked up on is is the curriculum and um, the club, you know, in terms of what they want from, from players um, and also the players themselves, and I guess... The bits to play back from play back to the coaches whilst they're working is how did this fit in tonight with with that theme that you're working on so if there's a theme around playing out from the back how did the session fit into that and what experience did the players get um and and you know get them to check in with that and, and consider maybe how did that how did for example the session planning how did their interaction support um and, and, and was it realistic in terms of what they were trying to work on in the area of the pitch and the specific theme? So in terms of level of detail for a session, let's use the playing out from the back example as one, because it's a pretty easy one. Everyone does it, some form of playing out from the back. Um, what level of detail with, a, say, an under-11s group would the, the coaches go through in the planning stage in terms of like individual individual interactions, timings, session design, etc., what would that process look like from start to finish? We'd encourage the coaches to ensure they they plan. 
um, and they, they know what each other's doing. So we might have, say, two, three coaches with that age group. We try and get them to uh, almost have defined roles. Um, we would we encourage them to work in small groups as much as possible. Um, and like any session, you then at some point play a, a bigger game or two or games with, with small numbers. Um, so I think one is established roles within that. You know, so what are they actually doing? And established timings is key as well. Um, so they roughly know what activities they do when within the session. Um, they're checking in with the MDT to see if there's any involvement there, whether that be SNC coaches, psychologists, etc. So see if there's any involvement within the session from them, whether that be um, pretty explicit in terms of them taking the actual session, or whether it be more sort of implicit messages where they're trying to work on <clears throat> some psychological outcomes, but maybe more in the form of a game where they're trying to challenge certain elements of it to get responses or um, you know, to put in that situation. Um, and, and the other bits then would be realism, I think it's really important, uh, and context. So making sure what they're doing within the session would happen on a match day. Um, Directional is important, realism, um, and again, probably things like competition. The coaches then, you know, once they've got that sort of frame in place, I would then say, look, what, how, consider then what, what your interactions are going to be. So, so, for example, if we're working on creativity in the far third, as much as coaching is, you know, is diagnosing and, 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 and reacting from that, I think also you need it in the back of your mind how you're going to sort of intervene. So what I mean by that is if you're saying, right, creativity in the far third um, as a topic, you know, and then every, every second you're stopping it and giving the answers, then that's probably not going to support the idea of being creative. So what you might do is having your head, right, well, okay, well, I want to give them loads of opportunities to practice here and, and maybe we're going to go, we're going to time this, this, this part of the practice to go right three minutes and then with maybe a little one minute feedback, um, as opposed to, right, we'll let them play and then we'll stop it when we need to. So I think that that alignment between what you're trying to achieve and then a, a suitable intervention strategy is important. And then probably you need to be aware of the individuals you've got. So some players clearly, you know, you, you can tell them what they need to do. Some players just want to go and have, you know, have a go at it. Um, and some people need maybe an arm around them and, and encouragement at times. I think that might be important. I think with those ratios, that allows the coaches then to go, look, I'm probably going to be quite hard on this player tonight because, um, you know, I, I want him to do better with his defending, for example. Actually, I'm going to set the scene for him. I'm going to let him know that, look, I want you to be on this tonight. I want you to do this. And I'm going to be pretty firm with that. Are you OK with that? Um, I think that's really important in terms of that player-coach relationship that they, they, they don't have any surprises from the coach. There's, they're, they're sort of, they, they know what the intentions are, they know what they're going to expect. Um, I think that's important as well. So one thing you picked up there and that last line you've mentioned is kind of like the psychology side of it. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they hear kind of psychologists working with under 9s, 10s, 11s, probably listening a little bit nervous as to how does that actually look and is it is it necessary so in terms of 
what you guys deliver and what that looks like and the purpose of it what is the intent behind having you know psychologists work with the younger players and how how do you think that supports them long term well i think psychology isn't it's just it happens all the time doesn't it in terms of you know how they're thinking and how they're being stressed within the game you know it's naturally going to occur i think by having psychological input if you like it is just drawing out okay what what is the intent what are we trying to achieve and making sure that maybe the, the session design or the actions or the tasks that you're setting aligns to that if that makes sense and then i guess once you've done that what what's then the level of support to how you're then going to support these players because it's all, all very well putting them in that situation and exposing them to high stress you know uh, high level competition but it's then like, well, what are the coping strategies? How can we feed that into it? So I think that's that's what it looks like for our younger players. It's not um, classroom-based. It's very implicit on the pitch. Um, just tweaking practices slightly where, I don't know, you put a time restriction on, on it. You put a score in place where they've got to score in a certain amount of time. Um, and then look, you know, how, how do we, how do we make, remain... Um, in, in flow for example how, how do you mean remain composed in these situations and you just try to set up the environment where it promotes that thinking from them and and, and gives them that different opportunity to practice those different skills and have you seen that transfer either into um improvements in like game scenarios or in particular i guess tournament scenarios where it is going to be slightly more stressful because there is going to be pressures potentially on winning etc as well be it externally or internally so have you seen benefits crossing over into those situations yes um but again it's all very well training i think you the constant repetition of, of doing the matches and those environments as well because the training is good you know but i don't think it's necessarily going to be the same as the real thing so what i have seen improvements in is when you're doing that sort of work and highlighting to the players the need you know and and being clear on some of the emotions they're experiencing and, and in reality for our younger players if they can register what emotions they're feeling that that's probably where we're at you know and and that's what we're trying to achieve just them to recognize what emotion they're going through um but actually the more exposure to the actual um competitions and match days is is important for me so um the training helps to give them awareness i would say and exposure to it um but the match day bits are the most important and what what i've seen probably in terms of improvements of our players and I guess the improvements I'm talking about is is staying calm and under pressure. I guess um, through through competition and tournaments is when they've done it more frequently. So when we've done internal games where I don't know they're playing different age groups or they're playing you know, particularly different centres, um, or we set up in-house active not in-house but you know we set up our own tournaments where teams are coming in over a period of time they've got more used to that environment and more confident as well and you know going one nil down didn't, hasn't phased teams whereas before without that exposure that would be real difficult but um it's a long-term thing with our young players um 
you know, they all want to win. The environment itself is probably quite challenging and quite um, daunting at times for them. So it's, it's look, we're not in a race to get there. We're not expecting our players at 9, 10, 11 years old to be cool and calm on the ball all times in all competitions. It's just recognising how we can best support them. But certainly the more exposure, there's a good chance to get more comfortable with it. Perfect. So we've mentioned uh, previously, and we've had discussions around this, that you're currently doing a lot of work around game formats um, and, and how that supports or challenges players, etc. So first of all, do you want to talk through, I guess, some of the research that you've read, just loosely what it says and why you think is important? And then um, what outcomes you're looking to achieve in order to be changing formats and changing what experiences the players get? I think one of the biggest things in, in our phase is that variety, you know, and, and just ensuring that, you know, we're, we're not just doing the same activity constantly, you know, because the, the players will have the same situations and that's not necessarily stressing their learning. So, again, it, it probably comes down to what's the intent, really, in, in terms of what, what you play and why, in terms of formats so of 5566. And how is that supporting and challenging the players? Um, and it was a good thing to reflect on because we're, we're quite big on our players being um, like skillful technicians. So, you know, making making good decisions um, on the ball. So, but actually, you know, if they're constantly doing the same thing, does, does that allow for that? And so we started to look at that a bit more. And so we, we just had a little go at playing some 5v5. And straight away then you had some real good exposure to 1v1s more often um, and what that gave you then was probably more opportunities in the game to think about who you're playing up against and what the tactics are going to be so is it going to be actually he's quicker than me I'm going to have to bounce the ball around him actually in this case I'm quicker than this player so I'll just look to beat him and be confident in that situation likewise you know the, the 1v1 aspect you get you get isolated 1v1 quite often um, you know, so it allows you then to work on those those techniques. Um, the other bits we found from playing those real small formats is the actual 1v1, as I said, the 1v1 defending bit around just knowing who you're marking. I think sometimes with, with the slightly larger formats, you know, say 77 up to 99, sometimes that bit can get lost. Um, so that accountability bit as well is, is quite, quite big. Whereas, look, you get beat, it's probably going to be a goal or a shot on goal at least. So um, that's been good. I think what we try to do is, as I said there, have intent and be purposeful in terms of what we're trying to achieve. So what we will do is a, a regular sort of like player development meeting for each age group and go, look, where are the group at the moment? What would be some of the challenges? How could we expose them to different stimulus and different uh, situations? Um, and then link the players into that as well. So what what do they need to do? So for example, some might need to go and play a larger format for a period of time um, to allow them to have more possession or see if they can take on board information. Some players might need to, need to have more exposure to the smaller formats to get those 1v1s, you know, and, and maybe that faster pace. Um, or in, in terms of that competition, you know, we talk about a psychological bit, that, that might be an opportunity to stress those individuals. And then once you've 
sort of had that meeting and discussed what the groups need, what individuals need. You can then sort of plan out then what that week ahead or two weeks or a month ahead looks like. I put your your plan in place. So, in terms of a, a game day aspect, what does that look like when other teams are coming in? Does it mean that you'll play always two five v fives? Does it mean that you might play one larger pitch, one smaller pitch? What does the actual geography of it look like from week to week? We, we mixed it up really, and I think that's, that's probably the the beauty of the foundation phase is that you can do more formats. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, for example, we'll, we'll one week we'll play with our nines one seventy seven, you know, and it's better to see different things in, in that situation. And then the following week you might try and do two fives. We've also then looked at multiple formats on match day. So we might go from say two five fives into one seventy seven, you know, and, and again, what are we seeing? What what can the players do in those formats? Is there any ones that perform really well at five five but struggle maybe it's 77, why is that? You know, what do we need to support them with? Um, so again, that, those bits are always good to put the players in those different environments and situations and, and draw out, okay, well, what they need, what are the gaps? And have you seen that? Have you seen it where people or players really succeed in one environment and then struggle massively in the next one? Yeah, so we've got some players who are fantastic, sort of, you might call out little 1v1 players, um, but put them into maybe a 9v9 and, and, and they can get lost, you know, and that might be down to their understanding at the time. It might be down to maybe even maturation, who they're matched up against. And it's just making sure that you've got, you know, opportunities to see them in different situations. So you're not missing things. You know, so if that player was only playing 9v9 all season and you're only seeing those bits from him that you're going, well, I'm not sure, then you've probably not seen the best of him. Whereas actually what you might be is just someone who's not necessarily got the game understanding at the moment. Uh, maybe he's a bit of a lower maturation and the format isn't quite getting out what you need to see. That's not to say that he doesn't need to get there. He certainly needs to get there. But it might be that, okay, well, let's support him a little bit more. Let's adapt our approach in terms of how we're giving information. Let's think about different ways, which might be individual clips potentially to help him. It might be him doing a reflect, reflective diary or some reflective notes in terms of what he's seeing in the game again it's, it's just trying to get on the same page isn't it and understand what he's seeing and, and how we can best support him and exploring different ways of doing that you know so if you can go out actually 1v1 bit in this 5v5 five five you're already good at but in the 9v9 that looks slightly different it's going to look like this how do we get you to do this what, what are the steps we need to do yeah so in terms of trade-offs between the two because you have other academies that I speak to that say we'll play this format week on week, be it a 77, 99, 11 v 11, and the players don't really change positions very often. They'll kind of stay in that position because they feel like it then helps them to see pictures or understand circumstance, etc. So in terms of the trade-offs between the two, why have you explored this avenue rather than going down maybe a more settled um, game-based model? Um, I think the bit, the biggest thing for me is is seeing the players in in different situations. Like I said, you you can probably lose players, or it's trying to. It comes from a, obviously a place of support, and that's the key thing that we want to we want to make sure that we're, we're seeing the best bits of them, if that makes sense. And everyone, 
develops at different rates and in different ways clearly and again this is only an opinion if you're constantly doing the same thing with them all the, all the time I'm not sure that's necessarily a good thing um, however there needs to be an idea about where they're trying to get to as well if that makes sense they need to know that okay what well, in the 99 need to be need to be achieving this um, I would say it's not completely random and scatter, scattergun it's probably if you were to look at a percentage you know you'd still have a um a preferred format at certain age groups and it would just be then how do you dip into these other formats to then support the players so for example it might be agreed that okay well for our for our, our under 11s you know 99 is the format we want to play because that's preparing them at some point for that larger games you know they need to understand a bit more about patience away from the ball and making the pitch big and and probably creating more possession and less turnovers that's important but it might be agreed that actually well we've still got some players in this group that 1v1s for example aren't great um or need more exposure so therefore you know our secondary position or secondary format for this month might be 5v5 we, we do that more in training internal games um but maybe we'll, we'll keep our match days is, is 9v9 so it's it's not just completely random when you're going to go right well this week we'll, we'll do pv2s on, on the match day and stuff like that. it's more you know what do we need to see really and, and what do the players what support they, they require yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. And obviously teams play around with formats a lot. I think famously Man United play 4v4s, don't they, a lot in their foundation phase. And I know there's been a few articles and papers published about how much more touches they get, how much more 1v1s, etc. they get. And I guess for you, that's something you're able to kind of emulate in this environment where, you know, you're given exposure to different things, understanding underloads, overloads, beating players 1v1 it just gives them more of a holistic environment in which to develop yeah yeah so obviously Lee you've worked in academy football for a number of years now both I guess as a coach assistant phase coach and lead phase how have you seen it transition during that period is there anything that particularly stands out to you as what changes that's happened during that time um well yes yeah, since, since the HOP um Obviously, working in academies before the Israel B was was completely different. Obviously, with with that in place now, I guess the resources have grown. You know, um, which is leading now to some more support. I think there's more involvement from other disciplines. So there's, there's that sort of management side of it in terms of coordinating um, their involvement with the sessions and the program say there's there's more um opportunities to play games that, that's something that's is out there there's there's loads of different games available for the boys to take part in in terms of uh, festivals tournaments so again that that's bigger i think it's hopefully getting to a better place now where it's not just players coming in and almost being assessed um they're, they're coming in and, and being supported and, and i guess believed in as well to, to they can be a good player um so i think i've seen a, a swing over the years of, of that um 
where where the players, you know, the coach player relationship has certainly moved forward. Um, you know, and, and number of different things have contributed to that. Probably more regular sort of catch ups that are put in place. Um, more understanding of the, of the player and opportunity to get to know the player. So one of the things that we've tried to do is is probably more of those conversations with players and parents in terms of regular catch-ups and just, just getting to know them, you know, and I think as well in terms of the, the environment it's probably changed. It's, it's less about showcase coaching, if you like, where it was very much about the coach and, and their knowledge. It's about what the players are taking on board, I guess, and, and, and what the players' experiences and, and and how they're being challenged as opposed to the coach giving them all the information um, in one session, which I think was something I've seen previously. But it's, it's certainly moved, moved forward, that's for sure, in terms of um, how it's structured and how it's now working. And where do you see it going? Where do you see our current path going in terms of support that academies can provide these young people? I think clear, clearly it's, it's it's getting better and better. You know, I think that's something that will continue to improve in terms of, um, you know, the, the support that the coaches can offer. I think trying to sort of meet the needs of the individuals as best we can is is an aim. You know, it's, it's a challenging one, but um, it's an aspiration, I guess, to try and really support the individuals. Um, as best we can for skillful coaching and and um, you know regular check-ins with these players and making sure that we're aligning to their their needs and recognizing what support and, and challenges they need. Um, but I think it's in a good place. I think um, you know what what experience they get at the moment is is fantastic. You know they get to do what they enjoy hopefully and, and get better at it. And in terms of any trade-offs or drawbacks from the current system, um, is there anything, I guess, more in the games programme side, is there anything within that that is difficult to facilitate or anything that you think could, could do with being looked at? This is about, lock, about COVID, yeah? Yeah, yeah, without COVID, yeah. <laughs> um, I think in an ideal world, if, if you could continue in some way to have grassroots football as well I think that would be a, a positive um, I do I do think the environment in in the you know, training environment and the games program environment is is good but it's almost like under nines playing on nice grass flat pitches with sprinklers coming out it's great, you know, it's, it's lovely, but also I think there's a need to go and play and, you know, play with your mates at the park and play in puddles and things like that. So I think that, that's an important part of it. And sometimes I think our young players at 9, 10, 11 miss out on that, you know, and, and that's important as well, just to so they understand what it, what, if you like, what, what it looks like outside of a, you know, an academy. I think, I think sometimes they miss that and, um, I think it's important that they recognise, okay, well, this is a great opportunity, I'm going to take the most of it, as opposed to from, from like seven years old being around that training ground where it's all nice and 
almost like Disneyland, as we call it. Um, I'm not sure that's that's always the best thing. Um, I'm recognising that there's there's lots of players that would love to be in your situation and love to have this experience. Sometimes I'm not sure they they completely get. So that that would help um, potentially. And also, I think having the opportunity to play at different levels is, as I've said before, is something we do with the schools and districts by allowing, by by, the, by them going through that, um, that football with their other teams. Um, but also, if they're playing for their grassroots team, being the best player, maybe playing up an age, they're going to get some real good experiences and challenges along the way with that as well. Um, and if they're in the league as well, you know, that's that's something to, to play play towards and win. So that's important. So I think it's, it's those bits as well, which, which maybe could be added in. And am I right in thinking that like Germany have gone down a kind of route like that, haven't they, in terms of their format? And I know that Bayern Munich have just got rid of, I think, their nines and tens age groups. And I think uh, the way they format, with their players is that the club in the region takes care of like four or five grassroots clubs and then they come in later. I think that's right. Yeah. So some clubs in, in Europe do that, you know, the foundation phase will start later. Some clubs in Holland, for example, won't be till 12 or even 13. Um, what they would then do, like I said, there is probably supplement that program below by having good relationships with grassroots clubs and then bring them in later but almost having the, the club coaches go and work with the grassroots clubs so they can talk about philosophies and ways they, in which they want to coach the players. Um, I guess that ensures that there's a good level of quality, of quality coaching and also eyes on those players so they can then highlight them then for the, the team, whether it be 11, 12, 13, I guess. Yeah, it's a really interesting model, I think, and it'd be interesting to see how it develops over the coming years. Obviously with your role, I'd imagine you would add a number of different learning experiences and opportunities to kind of go abroad um, on CPD events, all that type of stuff. Do you just want to talk through some of the experiences you've had on those and anything in particular that stood out to you, both in a football context, but also outside of football as well? Yeah. So obviously with, with the, with the role and obviously at the club, we, we, CPD and development is massive. Um, so fortunate to do so many different um, different maybe courses, whether that be uh, leadership, mentoring programs that we've done through the club, um, which has really supported my development in, in those areas. And um, I'm really, really grateful for that. Also, I've done more, I guess, formalised courses, such as the ECAS course uh, through the Premier League, which again was a fantastic experience to go and look at so many different industries um organizations clubs you know and do and, the uh, army thing as well i'm guessing yeah yeah so that was, that was part of it as well and <laughs> going out to the, the breckens and um yeah walking through the night and, and camping out and all that sort of stuff so um but yeah any anything like that it's about drawing out how it links back into your role um you know what what you're currently doing so i think some of the the clubs that i've been to over in holland and spain and um it, it been good you know eye openers really in terms of i guess 
uh, specifically for me, is challenging what we do and why we do it. So, as you said before, a lot of teams in Europe or a lot of clubs in Europe wouldn't necessarily have the um, structure that we have with our younger players. They'd have different programmes. And it does challenge your thinking as to go, well, why do we do it this way? And actually, what do we get from it? And is, is there a need to change, adapt, or just have more awareness of those players outside of the academy better? You know, and it might even be that from a result of the go into these study visits, you you create better pathways with the, the local grassroots teams um, or better, um, better connections with them so you can get them in on a more regular basis to then work with them. So that, that certainly comes from it. I think also, again, interestingly, when you're watching these other clubs work, um, what... What I took from it was that actually have a way, you know, and uh, and see that through, you know. So every club is going to do their development, you know, and and their structure in, in different ways. I think the key thing is is being really clear on what your way way is, you know, and and how you want to work, and then make sure you then do that. So if you want to go and be a team that play, I don't know, eleven v eleven at under tens because you think that's your best way of developing players and, you know, the best ones go through whatever it might be and stick with it and go through it. You know, and I think sometimes we're guilty of always looking around, aren't we, and seeing different models and want to take, actually have your model, but do it really, really well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because, you know, in particular, when it's kind of results based and you lose to a team or at the top end, they start producing two or three players. Everyone wants to then jump on that where actually, even if you look at the top end, it's cyclical, isn't it? Like different teams do well for different periods of time using different tactics. You had three, five, two that have been out of football for about 20 years. Conte comes in, wins the league with it. And then all of a sudden, every man is dogs playing three, five, two. You know, Pep came across, did really well. Everyone was playing tick attacker. Then everyone started pressing because Klopp came across. And I imagine it's a similar um, space in the sports development, uh, in the youth development space, in terms of making sure that actually you have your way, you stick to it, and we incorporate maybe good bits that or good learnings that other people do that we can we can then use in ours. Is there any particular visit? or experience you had during that thing that really stands out to you that was kind of either particularly thought-provoking or kind of like really, really changed the way that you dealt with individuals or players? So one of the, one of the activities or um, observations we did, or study visits, um, was to British Diving, I think it was, uh, down in Plymouth. And... I think what struck me about that one, you know, again, it's an, in, an individual sport, which is slightly different, but what I got from it was was the environment. So when you walked in, the player, the sorry, the athletes were literally straight on to what they were working on. So I found that amazing that from our environment where it's probably quite coach-led in that in that space where it's like, look, you've been doing this, you've been doing this. You know, you're now playing a game. They had a plan, you know, and they obviously work on certain techniques with their diving 
or um, you know some some um, um, athletic skills they're working on, but they were literally left on their own to go and work on it. You know, and the coach just then walked around, observed, checked in, you know, maybe challenged them or pushed them further. Um, and I thought that was really skillful. And whilst recognising that it's different in football, you know, and probably our age of our players were, were slightly younger, that's something probably to aspire to get towards, where actually the players are taking that level of ownership in their in their training, where it's not completely coach-led. I think that's where you want to get to, where that environment is that. So the players come in and, for example, they're able to then work on something without the coach asking them to do that. So that might even be our youngest age, getting a ball and actually working on something on their own whilst they're waiting for the, I don't know, the rest of the players to get there, for example. Um, it might be them being proactive to go and check in with their tutor group coach um, and ask questions about the weekend. So those bits I took from that visit in particular going, wow, this is a great environment where they clearly are taking ownership. They know what they're working on and why, and they know what they've got to achieve, if that makes sense. They did, know they what could... did they say anything in particular about how they got to that point? Was there any particular steps they'd taken to get to there? Yeah, interestingly, the coaches were like, well, this is just what we do. You know, they, they know what we work, they, they've got to work on. They've got an area of focus. Off they go. So I think that might be more, you know, just culture, really. You know, that's the way they coach. It is it again, it's an individual sport. So there is that context and, you know, it's slightly different in that, in that area. But ultimately, look, they, they put that ownership on the players to go and work on the, on the bits. I think it's really interesting. Uh, imagine if you did that for a year where the coach just kind of stepped back, didn't say a lot, and the kids turned up. What would they actually do? Would they just play headers and volleys or, or whatnot? Would they just play games? Or would after a while they start going, well, actually, no, I want to learn and develop. And then the coach could say, well, what do you want to learn and develop? And he might say, my bicycle kick. Okay, well, how are you going to improve your bicycle kick? And then just let them crack on with it. I think that would be a really interesting space. But whether you'd have the time to actually integrate that in, I guess, is the, is the challenge. So I guess last question for me, because we're fastly approaching the time we're allotted, which is um, who's the, the best player or coach you've worked with or against and why? Now, obviously, I know you used to coach me, so I'm going to disqualify myself right off the bat because otherwise that'd be an easy answer for you. So, uh, yeah, best player or coach you've worked with or against and why? That's a difficult one, right? <laughs> player or coach? I might sit on the fence in this one. <laughs> um, so I think with, with the the best players, I'm unfortunate in the position now where we've been doing this role for a period of time where the players are now starting to go into the 18s, 23s, even the first team. So I think that's, um, that's great to see, you know, and, and it's nice to have a small level of input into their development. Um, so that, that's been great in terms of working with some of those boys from, from our academy that have gone through. And I think that's a real nice reference point to, to see what they've done on their journey. What's recognising that everyone's different, but um, that's great at the moment seeing that. And 
and also remembering back to what their time was like in the, the foundation phase and what they could do and couldn't do. Was there and, any common uh, threats between those lads that have gone on to progress? Certainly an attitude. I'd, I'd, I'd say that, that ability to want to go and practice, want to work hard, um, but also a love of football. You know, it, it is tough. And I remember some of these situations where some of those boys in particular would be taking on tours and they'd be, they'd be crying, upset. But there's always that love of football there and, and a real desire to want to get better and be the best player. I think those bits stand out. Um, and, and probably finally on that one is probably they're happy to be challenged, I'd say, or want to be challenged. So I think in that environment, you know, you, you can be challenged in so many different ways. Those players that have probably gone through have probably, in some cases, really craved challenge, you know, want to be stretched. So I think that's something that, that stands out. And coaches, um, I'm really lucky that a lot of the coaches that we work with at the club, and this is probably not necessarily directly answering your question, but I think working with some of these coaches that are, are so keen to develop and improve, um, share ideas, support each other, I think is the best bit. Um, you know, and, and having a coaching team that want to get the best out of the players and support the players is, is, is great. So I've dodged that one massively in terms of a coach, but what I look for in, in a good coach is someone that I guess just believes in the players, you know, believes that that player can achieve their dreams, can, can be a, a Premier League footballer, you know, and can get there. And their job is just to try and support them as best they can. Perfect. Listen, Smudge, really appreciate your time. Loads of great stuff and uh, catch up with you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.